Back with you to talk Oklahoma State sports, Tulsa World Style. Garen Emig, columnist for the world, along with uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys beat writer Eli Letterman. This is uh, what I call a vidcast. You can check us out visually at TulsaWorld.com every week. What we do, what uh, Eric Bailey and I do with the OUB, what Bill Haston and I do with uh, just general sports topics of the day. You can also subscribe and download podcasts, the audio version of what uh, Eli and I go over if you'd rather not see our, our faces, uh, courtesy of Apple, Spotify, and Google. Thanks for listening, however you listen or watch, as, as the case may be. Okay, Eli, you're letting everyone know about OSU's new defensive coordinator, loading up on Derek Mason. Yeah. story appeared in Friday's World uh, in which you talked to former uh, players and colleagues of his. You've got another one cooking for this weekend, so give us the rundown. Well, it's, it's a heavy Derek Mason week here in, in Stillwater because it finally happened. I think we were probably about a week before Wednesday when Derek Mason was announced as the next off, uh, defensive coordinator. We had a sense it was probably going to be him, and then it felt like at long last uh, the news came on, on Wednesday. And so Oklahoma State, after like a month and a half without Jim Knowles and, and a defensive coordinator triumvirate in the, the bowl game, finally has their next guy, and we'll see where it goes from here. But yeah, yesterday or the last few days, I've basically just been hanging out on my phone, talking to people who know Derek Mason, who've worked with him in the past, played for him in the past. And I think the the number one, that the attribute I've heard the most about and that people will probably hear the most about is energy. Mm -hmm. This guy just brings it. And and he's got energy. And I mean, the stories about, um, you know, meetings where you walk in and it's just right in your face. And, and, and but the other part is, is he's also commanding. And uh, I was talking to one of his former safeties and, and the defensive backs. This isn't always the case with a lot of programs. They were very familiar with that seven-man sled. When, when they were, were slacking, the defensive backs were on the sled. And, and, and so he's, he's kind of a – maybe a yin and yang would be the way of putting it. He's, he's energetic. He's positive. But uh, don't mistake that for, for easy uh, by any stretch. It is, uh, by all accounts – a well-received hire now that it is official anytime you pull a a coordinator out of this the and a defensive coordinator a defensive coordinator at that out of the sec the feeling is you've, you've done something right and so mike gundy i think getting getting being lauded more or less among osu's fan base um and yet i posted sort of a just a five thoughts uh it'd be it was more of a blog we printed it in the world i think wednesday wednesday or thursday the days do run together uh, and yet I landed on, we. I, I don't know if it's going to work because you, no one does. I, I wasn't sure Jim Knowles was going to work. And after one year, I was pretty sure it wasn't going to work. Uh, and, and other coordinators that Gundy has brought to his program in the past where you thought there was a fit, yeah, I mean, it, there, it wasn't, it wasn't. I'm talking about Vance Bedford and Bill Young taking us back a few years. Uh, so all you can do is, is sort of lay the groundwork, which is what, what you did in your story today. And, and give readers a sense of how they operate. Whether the operation is going to work, we'll see. And I, and I don't. That's not a shot at, at Mason or Gundy. That's just the reality of, of how this business works. Certainly, I mean, I think on paper he fits the bill. Mike Gundy was looking for an experienced play caller, somebody who could come in and and, and do a lot of what Jim Knowles did on game days, which was make adjustments and 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 be able to really run the show with this defense. We know Mike Gundy is not going to have much input on defense. And so he's going to leave it up to somebody. And so he's got that guy. But I don't think, you know, maybe even Mike Gundy will know until Central Michigan in early September next year what a game day with Derek Mason is like and what that looks like. But he, on paper, fits the bill. And, you know, one of the interesting things I learned beyond his personality and what he brings um, was, was the way that, you know, both at Stanford and Vanderbilt, 
Um, Derek Mason kind of gained a reputation for being able to to make use of what he had in front of him mm-hmm. personnel and and really amplifying guys' strengths and, and minimizing their weaknesses. And you, you think about this defense this coming year. I mean, you've got the pass rush returning, best pass rush in the nation returns. And in the past, he's had, you know, defensive lines that led the nation in sacks. That seems like a good match. But behind that, you're down Devin Harper, Malcolm Rodriguez, and, and we know the secondary is fairly decimated. So he's going to be working with guys who I, I think we, you know, you and I saw Jabbar Muhammad and Corey Black, the, the two presumptive uh, starting cornerbacks for next year. We saw them at the Fiesta Bowl. They're talented, but they've never started before. And, and so there's questions there. But it, from from kind of the sound of it, you, you've got a, a coordinator here, and we also don't know what position he's going to be coaching. Uh, you've got a coordinator here who ha- has a, a knack from from everything I've been told for for figuring out what guys do well and putting them in spots to do those things. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that it could be we might be looking back in a couple of years as this was the right time for a Derek Mason to come in with a defense that is coming off you know one of the best defensive seasons in program history, but isn't going to be bringing all those guys back and is going to need something from, from the young guys. So that's going to be an interesting thing, I think, uh, for, for us to watch develop. There's always a chance that with the loss of so many key players in the back end of the defense, back two levels, linebacker and, and, and the secondary, there's also the possibility that maybe that's, that's not a bad thing. They, they were obviously tied directly to Jim Knowles and Knowles' system. And that went, well, that went in, in particular to the linebackers and to, to Rodriguez and Harper, especially maybe, uh, you know, not then there may be resistance, I guess, is what I'm saying to a way you you've been immersed in now for four years. And now yeah. here comes Derek Mason and does does things the way he believes they should be done. Uh, perhaps uh, when you, the old clean slate theory isn't such a bad thing in this case. Um, advise, I'd, I'd advise OSU fans who haven't yet a couple of things. If you really want to see where Mason made his reputation. Go back and watch Stanford's defenses of the early 2010s. Yes, that does include OSU putting a lot of yards on him at the Fiesta Bowl once upon a time, but they did some great things with uh, David Shaw and Derek Mason uh, comboing out at Stanford in the aftermath of Jim Harbaugh. You, have to do, you do have to go that far back to when Harbaugh was still at Stanford. <laughs> but if you want something more recent, flip on the Iron Bowl, uh, the yeah. game that was played uh, the same day that OSU topped Oklahoma at Bedlam. That was Auburn's uh, shining moment uh, defensively this past season. They completely tied up Bryce Young. They got they got to him. They made things difficult for a Crimson Tide offense that just a week later blitzed Georgia. We all know how good Georgia's defense was last year. That was also an Alabama offense that still had John Mechie, their best perimeter player, uh, in, in, in at full go. So, yeah, a lot of reasons to be excited about it. We'll, we'll see how it turns out moving forward. Um, it wouldn't be a week, Eli, without transfer news. Nope. There was some. It's Yeah, back back on, uh, I think we're going with Monday, was the day that Shane Ellingworth decided that it was time to find a new place to quarterback. Man, at this point, Monday this week feels like three and a half weeks ago. It's just been that kind of week here in, yeah. in Stillwater. But Shane Ellingworth was the latest portal jump for the Cowboys, their 12th scholarship guy into the portal this offseason. And, you know, he probably qualifies. It, there's certainly, it kind of adds up if you, you really think about it. But he qualifies probably in the, the realm of guys you were a bit surprised to see go to the portal. Um, he's been Shane, uh, Spencer Sanders' backup each of the last two seasons, and I think we all figured he'd be back again next year. But he's headed to the portal, and uh, it's it certainly there's there's some logic with it. He's going into his third year, and and he's came in as an, an immense talent. He's gotten to flash it at points here, but 
presumptively he's not going to be have any start shot at the starting job next year. Uh, I think Spencer Sanders has another year after that if he wants it. And so, um, you know, the path to a starting job here probably didn't look that clear for Shane Ellingworth, and, and he's the next guy to go into the portal. And that leaves, you know, we can there's there's the conversation about how many guys are in the portal now and all that and, and the lack of incomings. But more pressing is the fact that I don't know who the second quarterback is going to be next fall. Uh, and, and that's a massive question mark when the case is, I don't think Spencer Sanders has gone a season yet without missing any time. Right. So the portal taketh, does the portal lendeth? <laughs> does, should, we expect, should we expect to see Gundy or, or uh, Casey Dunn or Tim Rattay tap into it to, to sort of solidify the depth chart? Well, I, you know, before Monday, I wouldn't have said, you know, looking at a quarterback was important for them in the portal. They've got far more pressing needs in terms of the secondary sure. line. But now it does become that question because if, if you don't reinforce with a veteran, and I don't know who's out there, it, se- it does seem just about every day you can go look at the portal and you'll probably find a, a quarterback who started a handful of games in there. Um, but without reinforcement, you're looking at Gunnar Gundy, who we saw hand the ball off a few times uh, against TCU. You've got Peyton Thompson, a former walk-on, and and then Garrett Rangel, who's the four-star freshman, uh, mm-hmm. and he's he's already on campus. He's one of the mid-year enrollees. But Tier by Gundy speak about him. Uh, you know, he, he's got to add some weight and, and develop. Um, doesn't sound like a guy who, who by next fall you, you're going to feel comfortable throwing out in a in a Big Twelve game because Spencer Sanders exits. And so, of all the question marks on this depth chart, this is one maybe we hadn't thought was coming, but it, but it now stands kind of cheap among them for the Cowboys. And if you're keeping track of, of those who have left the program, Jarek Bernard Gomers landed at LSU this week. That's a, is that a nod to him being a Louisianan? Or, I mean, that's, or is that a good place to start in terms of the decision? Or is there a connection at LSU? Or could it be, I guess it could be anything, huh? Well, it's a bit of an SEC exchange. That, that news dropped about 40 minutes after uh, the news of Derek Mason right. and Auburn. And I don't know, most fans, that maybe that's a trade they're, they're cool making. Uh, but yeah, there's the Louisiana connection, and I think bottom line, it doesn't matter where he's from. He was when he when Jared Bernard Converse went into the portal. I mean, he's he started 47 straight games here at Oklahoma State. He was an All Big 12 corner this year, and in, in his second year of just playing the position. And so when he went in, he was bound to to get interest from some of the top programs in the nation. And uh, LSU had a need, got a new coaching staff there, and and so in that sense, it really all did add up. And and then yeah. He's from Shreveport. That I'm sure couldn't have hurt, but um, I, I wasn't shocked at, at kind of the, the caliber of program he landed at because once he went into the portal, he was he was going to be a guy who was going to get probably plenty of interest. Anything else football related off the top of your head, or should we should we flip the round ball? I uh, just I mean one other tidbit, and I, I reported this last night um, that Bryce Lewis is is following Derek Mason from Auburn to Oklahoma State. He's a he was a former Vanderbilt cornerback. He was a quality control analyst with Derek Mason at Auburn, uh, Vanderbilt, then Auburn, and he'll okay. be joining. And, and so that's at least one kind of support staff hire that, that we do know is, is headed here to, to join a staff that outside of uh, Derek Mason and now Bryce Lewis may look pretty familiar in terms of, of the usual faces uh, under him. He's not going to be bringing in, uh, not as far as we know, um, you know, a whole brand new staff. Okay. Good work on the Derek Mason beat this week, Eli. You also – Juggled some basketball and saw a pretty good game midweek. It didn't. It didn't come out the way the Cowboys wanted. The uh, the, the close loss to Iowa State, but 
one of the more, uh, I don't know, smoothly operated games that OSU has played at least offensively throughout the year. And we, we saw we saw the burst from Avery Anderson that I think a lot of fans expected yeah. might have occurred a few times by now. I mean, that's the Avery Anderson, maybe not 34 points per game, and that was a career high for him. And, and that was certainly the, the best performance we've seen from him this year. But I think that's what people thought the Cowboys were going to get from Avery Anderson in, yeah. in his junior season. It was a guy who could be a consistent scorer. Obviously, no more Cade Cunningham, and, and scoring uh, has been lacking for this offense. They've been looking for that guy to, to run the show, and on, on Wednesday night, it was him. Uh, he, he just went off in the second half. It started uh, with the Cowboys after the break, 0 for 7 from three-point. We were all sitting up top in the nosebleeds, like, are they just going to keep shooting until they make? And then he got going from deep, and, and from there, he was off. Uh, scored 21 of the final 22 Oklahoma State points in regulation, and, and he just carried the offense. 27 points across the second half in overtime. And it, it was sort of a, I wouldn't say vintage, because, again, we've not seen it mm-hmm. from him quite like that. But that was the Avery Anderson you expected. But, but the interesting thing to me was post-game, he comes to the podium, and he's not focused about 34 points. He was upset about his defense. And right. my initial gut was, uh, you know, all right, he's being hard on himself. You know, he's maybe being a veteran leader. They, they let up a bit in overtime. But not only did Mike Boynton not really let him off the hook there, he came in and, and said something similar. If you go back and watch it, it was Avery Anderson who got burned a few times in overtime. Uh, and, and it was a great shooting night for the Cyclones. They, they are, you know, despite their start in the Big 12, they, they remain, you know, a serious team, just like every other team in the Big 12. Um, but that was the interesting part is, is on even his career scoring night, there was still something there for – both Avery Anderson and Mike Boynton. Again, he didn't he didn't let him off the hook either to, yeah. to be disappointed with. And again, it, it, it you see what what Anderson did. You saw what Bryce Thompson did the the two games before that, and sort of his emergence. You've seen Bryce Williams have his moments this season. Eli, again, there, there's got to be still room between now and the end of OSU season for there to be. Um, some some enlightenment, you know, where all all of these potentially key high level contributors mesh, right? And maybe you know, obviously, if one of them is going off for thirty something, naturally there there are going to be those who stat who statistics uh, suffer as a result. But I'm just talking about just emergence level of play. Yeah. And for Mike Boynton to 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 yet get the max out of this team, he's running it's running out of time a little bit for that to occur. You'd like to think. This, there's some symmetry potential there between those those three guards, and I, I mean, and I guess you could even include Isaac Likely to to a degree. Is is that asking for too much? I mean, the the talent we know is there, and it, it does seem like it's you know if it's not on the nights, it has to be you know two of these guys because the other two aren't aren't there. Uh, I mean, Bryce Williams missed his second straight game the other night, and and that was actually the first game where Bryce Thompson in Big Twelve play hasn't really looked. Uh, all that strong. He finished, uh, I think, one for seven from the field, seven points. But in in turn, you had Avery Anderson have his night, and Isaac likely actually had the the first half that that where he looked like himself. He came out aggressive, and, and he's been a guy who's kind of taken maybe an outsized portion of the blame as, as a leader for some of their slow starts. And you could see that the other night that he came out aggressive and strong and had a great first half. But it ha- it, it has tended to be that if two guys are going to have their night, it's I wouldn't say at the expense of, of anyone else, but they can't seem to get it to where, you know, all four of those guys, uh, or, or the, other, the case the other night was three of them on the floor, put it all together. And yeah, I mean, we 
I, I don't think this conversation is all that different from what we were having at the sure. non-conference play, and we're a month into the Big 12, yeah. got a month left essentially, and and I think you know, Cowboys go to Florida tomorrow for the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Next week is a trip to Kansas State, and then home for Bedlam. And I don't. I, I think you know. I can say for us in, in the media, and and I I think to a degree, you know, Mike Boynton and the guys in the locker room, they still don't know night in night out exactly which team is going to show up, and that remains their issue. Before we oh, – something I wanted to talk to you about before we, we closed was some, uh, another story that you had to report over during the course of the week that was frightening uh, for sure out of – you know, when, when it was immediate and we everyone was sort of searching and, and scrounging for details. It turned out uh, to be, all in the grand scheme of thing, a very uh, fortunate story for Oklahoma State, talking about the, the, the auto accident that took place midweek involving um, – couple of OSU athletes, including wrestler A.J. Ferrari, that also had a touch of, of football when you consider Casey Dunn's role in what took place. I just want you to tell us a little bit about your experience reporting the story, what you what you had to deal with in the immediate uh, the, the immediate uh, impact of, of the, uh, the accident. And maybe now that you've had a chance to, to sit in front of uh, the two coaches uh, at the press conference the, the day after and, and have had time to absorb the, the remarkable happenstance that, that Dunn was involved in all of yeah. this. Just your thoughts on 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 um, on what was uh, what was really an incredible development uh, at midweek for this for this uh, university. Yeah, you used use the term frightening, and and I, I think it wasn't lost on me. This is you know I'm new here in Stillwater, but it wasn't lost on me that this happened um, the same week. You know, 21 years to the day yeah. of the anniversary of the 2001 plane crash, and. And another past tragedy here and, and it's it's fairly remarkable that this wasn't um another and thank goodness it, it wasn't but it it, it kind of trickled out monday night i was i was here cooking dinner uh and and saw a post on facebook from aj ferrari senior saying something to the effect of aj uh, national champion wrestler here at oklahoma state had been in a pretty serious car wreck and and from there it was kind of just trying to follow the details trickling out and making phone calls and uh, you know, it's 2022. So a lot of this, in fact, kind of trickled out on social media, right. uh, things coming, you know, finding Snapchats from AJ's brother that, that he was in the scheme of things. Okay. Uh, and, and by the end of the night, Monday, at least we knew that he was in, in serious, but stable condition at, at OU medical. He'd been airlifted there. And, uh, the other OSU athlete, Isai Rodriguez, uh, who was in the car with him came away largely unscathed. And, and then of course the, the woman who was in the other vehicle, she came away, at least according to crash reports, with no injury. And so that was a miraculous um, mm. kind of conclusion based on the details. And then, you know, there's there's the almost hard to believe fact that on the scene, just happened to be there on that stretch of Highway 33, was Casey Dunn, offensive coordinator for the, for the Cowboys. And, and you know, the, the fact that he and, and another good Samaritan who hasn't been identified yet seems to have done his, his duty and, and then disappeared um that they were just there to pull somebody out of a burning car um you know casey dunn didn't as far as we know it seems like there wasn't enough time to figure it out know that he was pulling out you know this this national champion wrestler at oklahoma state he was uh, as, as john smith put it doing his good citizen duty um and and that only added to kind of the, the level of, of kind of what an incredible story this was and um, you know, then on Tuesday, once we knew that everybody was all right and, and in the scheme of things, that we got to sit with Dave Smith and John Smith, track coach, uh, right. and of course, the legendary wrestling coach. And 
uh, I, I think, you know, what I, we hashed out all the details, learned about what it was like for them. I mean, John Smith said it was about eight minutes from his home, so he made it to the scene and could only get so close. We learned all about that. But for me, you know, I asked this at, toward the very end of this press conference was kind of what's the perspective you gain from this, whether it's you as coaches for, for your athletes and, you know, no surprise here, but John Smith, you know, talked about being in the hospital in, in Oklahoma City on a Monday night, sitting there. And then he was asked, of course, about, you know, a return timetable for, for AJ Ferrari. We don't know what this means for, for his season. It likely damages it. I mean, he was 10 or no, number one in the country in his weight class. But, you know, John Smith just said he was standing there as he was waiting on scans to come back and, and thinking about all the things that are so much bigger than wrestling. Uh, and I think that, you know, is the lesson learned. Um, from, from near tragedies like these it's it's one of those things where I think you know all of us you know maybe you think a little bit more about um you know the next time you're behind the wheel John Smith pointed out everybody involved was wearing seatbelts seatbelt saves lives is what he said and, and so I think it was you know a, a really fortunate ending and and maybe you know an important wake-up call for um you know for everybody who kind of experienced that this week in this community yeah it's uh, it's another example that um we we tend to see again we tend to see the games and the athletes that we write about uh, in just one dimension and that's the accomplishment with regard to the uh, you know the game or in the case of AJ the math the course uh, in the case of the runner but you you can it's, that's really not what's what's going on here we're, we're we're dealing with people and people go through things that everyone else does and uh, they remind us to think. Uh, a lot more broadly than about the games they play and the, the statistics they amass. And uh, you, you don't want an accident. Uh, and something is, is, again, frightening is what what happened on Monday night to be the, 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 the precursor to, as a reminder. You'd like it to be something a little bit more positive. But it, it, it nonetheless is a reminder that this, uh, just because this is uh, sort of the toy store of, of life, if you will, sports, that's what they call the sports department of, of the newspaper, or at least they used to, um, it's not always the case. And so um, appreciate your perspective on that. We hope that everyone gains their own perspective from what happened uh, over the course of the week. And when the day arrives that we can ask Casey Dunn about his experience, that's, yeah. isn't that going to be fascinating? I imagine he's going to be pretty modest about it and just right. his nature, but um, you know, term hero gets thrown around a lot, but I think on Monday night, um, you know, on that stretch just outside of Perkins, as I pointed out, he, he was just helping somebody, um, and, it, and it happened to be an Oklahoma State athlete, but um, thank goodness he was there. And to end on a positive note, I was totally remiss in my duties last week to not recognize that I was on a Zoom call with the Oklahoma State Sports Writer of the Year. And I know, kind of like Casey Dunn, you're a modest guy, you're probably not going to like this, um, but, you know, Garen, recognized by the National Sports Media Association, is that right? Yes, I think so. Acronyms are hard, but <laughs> I think you're right. Sports beat writer for <laughs> a second time. Um, so another W for the Tulsa World staff. I think it's six and seven years. And um, as with Garen, and, and I think for all of us, you know, we don't write or do any of this for the awards. Um, we've got a lot of other motives for, for the roles we do and, and the jobs we have, but it's not for awards. We, we're here to inform and here to write, but it is always nice to see that recognized. And, and I can't think of anyone more deserving, Garen, than you. I, I do have just a little toast. It's, it's we, we shoot this at 
10 o'clock, this is apple cider, don't worry. <laughs> but this is a post to you as the Oklahoma State Sports Writer of the Year for the year 2021. So cheers to that. I would have brought I would have brought something. All I had to, to ding is my phone. Well, cheers. <laughs> my eyeglasses. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I'd known you were coming at you know, the old life, I'd known you were coming out of baked the cake or, or at least filled a glass full of, of cider in your case. I, I, I wonder the next story that's got to be uncovered is whether that really was cider or juice that you were sucking down. But um, no. a little too early. A little too early. Well, I appreciate the sentiment, and I appreciate the opportunity to write for the uh, for the Tulsa world and to do the things that I'm able to do. I'm pretty lucky in that regard. We'll leave it at that. Uh, you and I will be back next week to talk more about uh, the Cowboys football, basketball, wrestling. Probably ought to touch base again with their spring sports, so softball and baseball. Preseason rankings continue to roll in, and they continue to look pretty good for Josh Holiday and Kenny Gajewski. So thanks very much for tuning in. Again, you can catch the uh, the audio version on podcasts available via Google, Apple, and Spotify. Download and subscribe or view us visually at TulsaWorld.com. Have a good week, folks. For more information, you can visit TulsaWorld.com.